Welcome to the Possibility Podcast. I'm Mel Schwartz, your host and thought provocateur. I've been practicing psychotherapy for well over 20 years. During that time, I've been so fortunate to witness countless breakthroughs while working with people, whether one-on-one, as a speaker, in professional trainings, or in workshops. The insights that I've garnered have inspired me to write over a hundred articles and several books, including the companion title to this podcast, The Possibility Principle, which you can find wherever books are sold. On this and every episode, I'll be introducing new ways of thinking, relating, and communicating to help you truly thrive in your life, to reach the possibilities that you may long for. Think of this as a new game plan for living. Thanks for enjoying my emerging community of possibility seekers, and I hope you enjoy the show. In today's episode, we're going to be exploring the nature of happiness. Such a common idea and a common concept and word, but we don't really explore this in the seriousness and with the earnestness that we really should be. I can recall perhaps the first article I ever wrote was called, I'll be happy when dot, 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 question mark. To the best of my recollection, it went like this. When I was a young man, I thought I would really be happier when I can get my driver's license in the car, which would allow me to get some autonomy and independence. And then I got the car. I still wasn't as happy as I'd like to be. So I thought, I'll be happy when I can have a girlfriend. That's what I really need. And there was momentary bursts of happiness and excitement and passion about that. But that faded. I'll be happy when I can get into the college that I want to get into. And that, too, provided temporary happiness, but it wasn't sustainable. I've noticed that as life goes on, we keep changing our goals and expectations around happiness. Many people feel like they'll be happy when they fall in love and get married, but that gets delayed because they decide, well, I'll be happy when I get my dream house, or I'll be happy when we have children. Then happiness comes when we have a thought that when the kids are old enough to sleep through the night, that's when I'll be happy pass another decade or so. And all of a sudden, people are thinking, I'll be happy when the kids are out of the house and on their own, or I can retire and stop working. This notion of happiness under this context is completely elusive. If happiness depends upon the next event, something in the future, it's not likely going to occur, be tenable, or be able for you to hold on to it and maintain it. So what is the source of genuine happiness? I believe there are many things. To begin with, I think it comes from your relationship with yourself. More specifically, your relationships with your thoughts and beliefs about yourself. Having a core, solid relationship with self where you're not overly critical or punitive in your thoughts about yourself allows for you to connect with yourself and to connect with others. By the way, Connection seems to be a primary source of happiness. When we read about happiness, it seems to thrive or prosper through relationships. But what quality of relationship? These are relationships that are not judgmental, angry, or bitter. 
They're full of connectedness with empathy and compassion. Another thing that gets in the way of happiness is fear. Fear is so prevalent in our world and in our culture. Fear generally comes from our thoughts, our worldview, in which we avoid uncertainty. But life is uncertain. So we get stressed out and distressed with anxiety around what the future will bring, or fear of calamity or illness. Anger gets in the way of happiness. Anger compartmentalizes us and distances us and removes us from the kind of relatedness with both our own self and with others that we need to experience happiness. Ultimately, happiness might be described as being in flow. So what do I mean by being in flow? It means being completely present, not having thoughts, worries, stresses, anxieties, hopes, or wishes that all distract us from being present in the moment. What is the experience of flow? Well, if you've ever engaged in a sport or you enjoy singing or dancing or making love, that's all flow. In those experiences, hopefully, your distracting thoughts are minimal at best. Actually, at best, your distracting thoughts aren't there at all. So when we're in the flow, there's kind of a transcendent experience. Thought is not removing us from our experience. I believe this is a core essential piece of happiness. There's also a spiritual component. And by spiritual, I don't mean religious. I mean a sense of meaning and purpose and connectedness with yourself, the universe, and all of humankind. And now it's my pleasure to introduce our next caller on this show, Rick Blatter. Rick, you're calling from Canada, is that correct? Yes, sir. Montreal. Rick came to me online with how we met, and he seems to have some expertise in the area of happiness, which is today's subject matter. Rick, could you share briefly a bit about your work and how it dovetails into exploration and pursuit of happiness? So uh, my background is exercise physiology, and uh, I've always been interested in uh, life success or fitness for business. When I was young, my father sold Mercedes Benzes, so what I eventually ended up doing was driving uh, the widow's luxury cars to Florida for them because their husbands died. And this is actually what got me into happiness, success, and everything. I thought, if you're going to make lots of money, you should be alive to uh, benefit from it. So then I got into researching fitness, wellness, and I noticed there's a lot of rich people that are very unhappy too. So I saw that our traditional definition of success, which is money, fame, power, does not necessarily uh, equate happiness. And then I got into researching happiness. Uh, so my basic areas of interest are fitness, wellness, safety, happiness, and efficiency. I came across a statistic that the correlation between income and happiness ends when an individual, I don't know if it was an individual or a family, earns in excess of 70,000 US dollars per year. Staggering figure in, its, in that it's not a significant number, but it doesn't make us happier. Success and financial success may create icing on the cake, but the cake itself, happiness, happiness tends to be fleeting for many people. 
elusive for other people. There are um, happiness quotients now on the planet in terms of the people who self-evaluate as happiest or countries which have happiness quotients, which are very different than the drive towards success in many Western countries, which doesn't correlate at all with happiness. Rick, in your exploration of this phenomenon of happiness, do you have any insights that you would like to share about the necessities, the necessaries about what we can do to experience happiness? Well, your excellent book touches the foundation, which is healthy love. So everything else is based upon healthy love. And uh, you were talking before, some research showed that after $70,000, there's no longer a correlation between uh, happiness and money because one of the components of happiness effectively is having sufficient money to at least afford the basic necessities of life. Now, if you're a pygmy in the middle of the forest, you don't need money. But if you live in uh, Canada, the United States, you need to be able to pay your bills. And the second factor is living within one's budget. And lots of research has shown that whether you're rich or poor, there's a whole bunch of richer people, too, that don't live within their budget. So this can create lots of unhappiness. But as long as you have enough money to live, it's actually not even a factor in happiness. Well, I couldn't agree more. I work with many individuals who are most fortunate in that uh Their wealth in and of itself might afford happiness. It affords luxury. It affords freedom from worrying about money or freedom from worrying about paying bills or how will I send uh, the kids to college. But that doesn't actually allow for happiness. I believe that the core of happiness comes from our relationship with ourself, more specifically, our relationship with our thoughts and having an experience of yourself which allows you to get into the flow of life, to truly be present. I don't believe happiness in and of itself occurs from an external achievement. It does temporarily. You know, the thrill or the high of that success, but that tends to be very fleeting. It doesn't sustain itself. So externally derived goals don't generally create a sustainable internal happiness. What is your experience or your thoughts, Rick, in terms of the type of personality or the type of relationship with self that would allow for happiness? Well, exactly like you touched uh... Happiness comes from within, and the very basis of it is that you have to love yourself first. If you can't love yourself, you're never going to be happy. So healthy relationships with other people is the basis of everything. And for that, you need to love yourself, then you can love other people, and everything else can be built on it. I actually developed a life success teaching model because There's not just happiness that's important. It's actually life success that gives you the feeling of happiness, progressive achievement of lifelong goals. This is what actually gives you happiness in life, knowing that you're achieving some sort of uh, life goals. And a lot of people become unhappy, too, because they don't see any progress in their lives. They have no meaning and purpose in life. So could you help the listener understand what you mean by progress with life achievement goals? Could you make that come to life? What would that look like? 
Okay, well, if we look at the life success uh, teaching model, which I developed, you see that there's success in one corner at the top. There's self-actualization. So Maslow did lots of research on self-actualization. Not everybody requires self-actualization, but somebody like you who's a thought provoker and all people that like to better the world, they go for self-actualization, but that's not everybody. There's also... Uh, Happiness is one component of life success, healthy love, which is the basis. You need health and fitness. If you're not healthy, this can have a detrimental effect on your happiness. Although I've seen dying people who are happy, they're satisfied. So that is not everything, but it's a, a component. You have to have a knowledge of psychology, like reading your books. If you don't know how your mind works and how you talk to yourself, that can have a negative effect on you. You have to have a grounding in philosophy. There's religion and sp or spirituality, supportive friends or family or self-help books if you don't, and science. So you need to have various components for life success. And all of these factors add to your ha overall happiness. So when we talk about happiness, there's a, a, an image, a face that pops to mind for me. The great musician, Louis Armstrong, I can just hear his words, his song right now playing in my head, which is called It's a Wonderful World. I think that's what it's called. And hearing his voice, which was just flowing and bubbling with happiness. And it brings me back to the thought of relationships and community. Louis Armstrong grew up and lived in Queens, Queens, New York which is where I was raised, a melting pot of the country, not a, a venue for high achievement or great wealth, but a sense of community in that we had plenty of neighbors. And I picture Louis Armstrong, even when he reached his pinnacle of success, continuing to live in this middle-income neighborhood amongst his friends and relatives. So that quality of neighborliness that quality of related. For me, one of the core tenets of happiness is about connection and relating. When we connect to nature, to the universe, and that can be a spiritual connection, whereby we feel that we are interconnected with everything that provides meaning and purpose. And meaning and purpose, which are in short supply in our culture these days, I think is a cornerstone of happiness. Any individual who feels a meaning and purpose in their life, whether it's relationships or life vision or their goals, things they're striving toward, a work in progress, that meaning and purpose is one of the core derivatives. The other piece is connectedness, that you're not here on your own in a purposeless, meaningless life. Um, that disconnection creates a disenchantment with life and depression. You referenced my book, Rick. My book is about the fact that depression, alienation, the opposite of happiness, comes from believing in this myth of separation, that we are disconnected from one another and the universe at large, and there is a despair, um, an existential quality of what's this all about. It's almost like uh, the existential philosophers Camus and Sartre, which is what's it all about. But the new quantum worldview of inseparability and connectivity, um, and sometimes in, even within a mystical realm, created an abundance of meaning and purpose, and that everything you think and say and do 
influences the whole, that we're not here alone. So I would add that connectivity is a core component of happiness. Of course, if we try to define the word happiness, we run into trouble. Um, Defining anything can lead us into trouble. But uh, let's try to describe this word just a bit, Rick, happiness. A happiness that's not fleeting or temporary, meaning not happiness that comes from my team winning the World Series or some particular experience or event, but an overall overarching prevailing feeling in my life that I'm happy. There may be fluctuation, but I feel happy. Can you speak to that quality of feeling happy? And when you feel happy, do you experience different degrees and variations in the happiness? Uh, That's it. It's very fleeting, but you touched on a very important uh, factor. For definition, there's temporary fixes or temporary buzzes of happiness, which can be related to winning. And this is where we get into the problem of drugs, alcohol addictions. They give like temporary happiness buzzes. But for sustainable happiness, which is and healthy happiness, which is what we're talking about, it's feeling good about yourself. It's your self-love, like you said, healthy relationships, connectivity, inner peace and contentment. And this comes through multifacets of your life. And it's not just a fleeting little buzz that you get from, like I say, winning or some other thing. It's feeling good about yourself because you're actually doing good in the world and you're love yourself because you know you're a good, decent human being. That's a very good description. I would add to that that happiness, I, I believe, requires um, having an internal monologue with yourself, which doesn't get in the way. So many people struggle with monologues whereby their thoughts and feelings, their beliefs about themselves are in conflict. They don't feel good enough thought that measures you and analyzes you persistently ruptures the ability for happiness because that that fragments us. It takes different parts of us and it splits ourselves off from the wholeness. To sustain happiness requires, in my belief, that we operate from a sense of wholeness, which does not mean that everything is perfect. No. It means that I'm in the flow of life. And there can be peak moments of happiness. Again, the excitement of sports or the excitement that you may experience in dancing or singing or making love, ecstasy, going on a great hike or for a surfer riding that bright wave. And after the event has passed, the happiness need not pass because now your memory can call back that happiness, that joy that ecstasy, that serenity and fulfillment that you had. So where our memories go is also an important parameter of happiness. Do our memories go to negative experiences or do our memories go back toward justifying our sense of wholeness and integrity and joy? So for me, the core or one of the core pillars or primary pillars of happiness is my relationship with myself and my thoughts further enhanced by a sense of meaning and purpose? Anything you'd like to add to that, Rick? I couldn't agree with you more. That's uh, right on. And I find a lot of people, though, they 
are scared of emotions because to really live and feel happiness, unfortunately, you also have to feel unhappiness sometimes. So life is a roller coaster. And you have to realize that sometimes it's up, sometimes it's down. But I guess it's like the stock market. You want an, an uphill uh, graph. You want to continuously keep getting better rather than going down. But to embrace all emotions is very uh, productive. As a matter of fact, I read that when you wrote your book, uh, The Possibility Principle, you were uh, reflecting on life after a divorce and missing your kids. So a little bit of sorrow helps propel us to create new ideas. And I believe that was the stimulus for your uh, book, The Possibility Principle. Yes. And so uh, conflict or dissonance opens the door, the pathway to a greater insight and unfolding and happiness. And I, I should add that it's not one size fits all. Some of my greatest joy and happiness is when I have a new idea percolating. It's not fully formed yet, but I feel I'm on the cusp of some kind of breakthrough or great insight that I can write about or talk about. There's a sense of vitality there for me. Now, I realize this is different for everyone. If I were working in construction or if I were a bricklayer, my happiness might come from laying that brick just perfectly. I remember as a child, my uncle Dan was uh, one of the original pioneers in Fairbanks, Alaska in the 40s. And he used to come down and visit my family regularly. And Dan would take pleasure in taking an old-fashioned 7-Up can. And he would take the can of 7-Up and he would empty it into a glass and stop filling it at just the right moment so that the foam would just reach the top of the glass. And I was bewildered why he was doing it. And he explained to me that getting it just right gave him joy and happiness. But I think the key for all of us is to not get so caught up in the particular ups and downs of the last thought or the last belief, but to have a baseline of connectedness with ourself, with others, with community, with meaning, with purpose, and with good work. And then happiness is emblematic of the fabric of your relationship with yourself and how you see the world. Kindness, compassion, and empathy beget more happiness. Anger and conflict obviously preclude the doorway to happiness. Rick, if anybody would like to get in touch with you, inquire about your work, how can they reach you? I have many websites, but the principal ones are rickbladder.com and gohappiness.com. And that's rickbladder, that's B-L-A-T-T-E-R.com. That's correct. But because a lot of people in school and throughout my life have spelled my name with D's, <laughs> that website is mine too. <laughs> so you can spell my name wrong if you want. Okay, well, that, that's that's a good insight for everyone. Go ahead and spell Rick's name wrong and you'll still get to him. Rick, thanks so much for being on the show. It was a pleasure having you. Perhaps you can come back again. All right, it was a pleasure. I love your insights. I believe that the great source of happiness is our worldview. If you believe it's a dog-eat-dog reality, you're not likely going to experience or sustain happiness for anything more than a brief moment. That worldview, that outlook 
of intense competition leads to excessive individualism and alienation. If your worldview, however, is what I describe in my book, The Possibility Principle, one of connectedness, one of oneness, which induces empathy and compassion both with ourself and with others, that's the sourcing for happiness. So remember, the key takeaways here are don't say to yourself, I'll be happy when in contemplation of a future event that is deceptive, elusive, and not sustainable. Happiness has to come in the moment that you're in by freeing your mind of distracting thoughts, beliefs, and feelings that are getting in the way of your being present in your relationship with self and with others. If you're looking for the methods and the techniques to achieve that end, I write about them at length in my book, The Possibility Principle, and there's a number of podcasts that I have already recorded on how we can free ourselves from distracting punitive thought that breaks the harmony of being able to be present. So to live your life in concert, in harmony with yourself and others around you is the closest thing that we can aspire to, to achieve this concept of happiness. It is achievable and it is sustainable on the whole. Once you disencumber yourself from fearful, angry, conflicted thoughts about yourself and others. Wishing you much happiness in your life and looking forward to speaking with you again shortly. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Possibility Podcast with me, Mel Schwartz. To learn more about this topic and related subjects, please be sure to check out The Possibility Principle, my book at thepossibilityprinciple.com. I always welcome and look forward to your feedback. Please leave a comment at the show notes for this episode at melschwartz.com slash podcast, or simply send me an email at mel at melschwartz.com. You can also use that email address if you'd like to be a caller on a future show and have a topic you'd like me to discuss. If you never want to miss an episode, find The Possibility Principle in Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. And be sure to hit that subscribe button. You'll get new episodes as soon as they are released. And if you know anyone who might benefit from The Possibility Podcast, please tell them about the show. Thank you for listening. And until next time, have a great day and keep summoning up those new possibilities. Oh, 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 oh,